You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Up and equipment wise, it's a it's a massive difference to surfing over a main break. It's a huge difference. So the main break is a big. Oh my gosh! Do you hear that? That is the sound of the WSL announcing that we're going to be running day one of the Margaret River Pro at the Box Surf Spot right across the bay, slabbing right hander. So that's huge and exciting news. The Box is like so intimidating and death defying and exciting to watch. I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, you're already well aware of this information. So I don't need to go on. It's no longer news, but I'm excited. The, uh, they're about to start round one or heat one, John, John Florence, wiggling Dantes and, uh, dusty pain. So I'm frothing. I'm going to keep this short so that I can watch the event, but the short details are you're listening to Surf Splendor Podcast. This is your host, David Scales. Everything that we discuss in this episode, oh my gosh, John John's getting shacked in the warm up. So I'm getting like two, arg- what would be nines if the heat was on right now? Uh, anyways, everything that we discuss in this episode is available on surfsplendorpodcast.com, which may be where you're listening to this now, or you may be listening in a podcast app on your phone, like iTunes. If you do listen to the iTunes app, all that we ask is that you rate and review the show, and uh, that just helps other people to find it. It helps our show to grow. The more our show grows, the more uh, interesting guests that we can attract to attend and be a part of this show. Do your part and share, and we'll continue producing the content. All right? Today's episode, Surf News with Scott Bass. I hope that you enjoy. I'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off. Thanks. Yeah, guy, down the line, Surf Talk Radio. Hey, now. Hey, now. Scott Bass, David Lee Scales with you here on this Tuesday. It is April 14th. It's the day before tax day here in the United States of America. Are your taxes done? I'm going to see my accountant right after this. It's Nothing like waiting until the last minute. Not going to be pleasant. Nice. I've already been told it won't be a pleasant meeting. Told by whom? By my accountant. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I did get an email, David, on uh, recently that I wanted to share with you. It says, hey, guys. Just wanted to drop you a note and say that I really dig what you are doing. I recently found your podcast and love being able to access more information about my favorite pro sport. Hoping there might be a Margaret River preview podcast out today or tomorrow, which of course is today, but should be lots of great stuff to talk about after as well. Cheers and thanks again for investing the time to do this. It is valuable. Signed, GP. So Sweet. I thought I'd share that with you because I know Sweet. Thanks, GP. How much time do you invest? Uh, well, I probably invest maybe two hours before the show okay. over the course of a day, yeah. you know? But of course, I'm, just like you, I'm constantly scouring. Stuff's coming across my table all day, yeah. every day, just like you because we're just sort of, you know, involved. I I started tracking it at some point, trying to keep track of like what this podcast costs me, basically. Yeah. Um, in terms of hours, resources, and even just 
monetarily. I'm doing about 20 hours a week on it. Like in pre-production and then recording and then post-production. It's like sometimes you have to drive long distances. I'll factor that stuff in. But it's legitimately 20 hours a week, which it just started as a passion project. I never intended it for take that long. Take Never intended it to take that long. But it's a, it is an ordeal. So that's cool. I'm glad that people... Like, it's good to hear that he's appreciative of that and recognizes, you know? Yeah, and I've always said when when I was doing the show on terrestrial radio, I always thought that it was basically four hours for every hour that you produce. For every hour that we're on the air, it was four hours of my time. That's that's interesting. But, again, that doesn't take into account just stuff that interests me that I start to hunt down that, that sidetracks with my normal job, you know, and yeah, I end yeah. up, like, off the beaten path because you sent me a link somewhere or... Yeah. I sent you a link. <laughs> yeah, that stuff's almost impossible to track. So um, I got an email. I, I think I copied you on the response. It was from a young man named Eduardo in Brazil. He was following up on some points that we made in our last discussion about um, just Brazil, the economy there, the social structure, how that affects the surf culture, and a couple of New York Times articles that had come out. And so Eduardo pointed out – he basically made four points. They were pretty much in agreement with the things that we said, but unpacked a personal experience of living through the stuff that we were talking about. The first point that he made was um, in regards to piracy of surf brands and basically said that it's true. Like a lot of those big brands have been pirated over the years, and it makes perfect sense that they'd be apprehensive to now invest into this region. He also said, though, that his wife worked as a fashion designer at Billabong Brazil up until 2012, and Billabong had over 70 employees only on the product department back at that time. He said today there's no more than 10 employees left. So prior to 2012, it had been doing well. And like that New York Times article said, that their economy has really dropped off and suffered. And so his wife certainly uh, has suffered from that as well. He also talked about the Brazilian um, kind of machismo way of acting that we experience here in Southern California when, you know, packs travel together. He said he fully agrees with the argument that they tend to have that stereotype and they tend to actually live up to it. He lived for two years on the Gold Coast and he saw a lot of the Brazilians in the Gold Coast with that stigma, a lot of tourists that had traveled there. He said he also saw Ricardo Toledo, who I talked about, Felipe Toledo's dad, being expelled from the shoreline because of his misconduct during the Quicksilver Pro. Wow. Um, And we saw on the webcast, he was in the shoreline, up to his knees in water, shouting at Felipe, you know, and so I guess he got expelled uh, based (laughs) on what Eduardo is saying. That's funny. Um, But he also says that he believes there's many Brazilians who work hard to improve that stigma every day, you know, so I think that's cool. He also talked about Silvana Lima. He told the short story that we've talked about, about a road from rags to riches, But he also noticed something important about the Brazilian surf fans, which is that they tend to only support winners. But once those winners become losers, it's like they just throw them by the wayside. He said there's a great Brazilian thinker. He doesn't label him, but he says that the quote is, Brazilians do not like sport. Brazilians like to win. You know, and that's an important deciding uh, uh, differentiating factor. He said the listener, Eduardo, says that he really admires American and Australian fans who seem to value their idols to the end, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, and I wonder if that's um, just sort of um, regional to Brazil as a nation or if that's all of South America. Because when you, when you mentioned that, when I, I did read Eduardo's email. It was a great email, by the way. Thanks, Eduardo. I think of that 30 to 30 special on ESPN about the two uh, 
Escobar's. That was such a good one, dude. And, and, and it really, the Colombian nature was, it was more like, you know, we don't care about the sport. We just want to win. I mean, we'll pay any amount to be the winners and go have a party or whatever. Exactly. And so I'm wondering if it's just a South American thing as much as it is regionally, say, could to be. Brazil. Yeah, could be. It was something that I had never really thought about before. Because be you hear the term South American machismo. Like, you don't hear the term Brazilian machismo or Colombian. It's always the South American machismo. Yeah. Which is the true. ego, right? Probably. Right, right. And then his fourth, Eduardo's fourth point was about the WSL, and he likes it. And he said a lot of the Brazilian, his Brazilian friends listen to the webcast in English just to help improve their English-speaking skills. You know? mm, that's interesting. So, yeah. So, great email from Eduardo. Keep, uh, keep them coming. Hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com is my email. Scott's is down the line radio at gmail.com. No, no, it's surftalksandiego. Oh, sorry. At gmail.com. Surftalk. You, you, you have San a lot Diego. of email addresses. Surftalksandiego at gmail.com. Um, I also got a comment on surfsplendorpodcast.com from a listener named Joe commenting on our last episode saying Pete Mel didn't actually win the Titans and Mavericks last year, he won the year prior. Twiggy won last year. Really? That and he sent he posted a link to the Titans website. I clicked on the link and that's what it says. I didn't. I didn't. I don't, did they even it. have one last year? Dude, they said that on their we website. We need to look into that. Like, I looked you, on their website. Look, that's what it. I says. don't care about the Titans of Mavericks website because they're going to say whatever they want. Like, what's they're the going to lie about who won last I year? I don't know. I, 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 if if do you? This is what's interesting is that you and I don't even remember it. You don't remember Twiggy winning? I do remember Pete Mel winning, but I think I thought that, Pete Mel was the last winner. I think Pete Mel was two years ago. I'm pulling oh. it up right now, dude. I thought that they didn't have it last year because, but I could be wrong. All right. Well, what else do you got? I'll look it up while you're. Yeah, look it up for me. Well, the the Margaret's event right is coming up. It starts today. I mean, let's just go there right now. It's it's going to be. It seems to be the most exciting leg of the Australian leg of the tour, right? The, the most exciting event, I should say. Normally the most boring, but right. because of the swell forecast, certainly the most Yeah, exciting. so the swell is supposed to be huge. Yeah. And um, we're talking, you know, 7 to 10 to 15 feet, depending on who you listen to and what, what surf site, what forecast site you believe. Let me ask you this. Um, what does that mean for those breaks? Where will they be surfing? Are they going to be surfing Margaret's proper? Or how does that swell dictate where we're going to surf? Well, let me back up a little bit and then we'll get into okay. that. But um, I just want to say that um, the waiting period is today, April 15th in Australia to the 26th for both the men and the women. Right. The defending champions are Michelle Perez and Carissa Moore. And the venue is Margaret River as the main break with hopefully the box or even North Point in the mix, which is one of my sub-stories of this. Okay. The time change, of course, 16 hours ahead Pacific time. So right around, um, I guess, 3 o'clock in the afternoon here in Southern California. It's in the morning there. And the wild cards, as we know now, Alejo Muniz. And they had yesterday the wild card trials. Trials, yeah. And, and you raise your hands like... Jay Davies, baby. Jay Davies. Jay Davies. Which is, which is who I suggested should yeah. be... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> One of the wild cards. <laughs> Jay who? No, Jay exactly. Davis shreds and he and he even at easy rolling uh peep ass. <laughs> How classic is that? Instagram. Free fall dropping, stomping it, and then getting super shacked with your quote. Dude, peep ass is super easy. You just sit there. It no, I look, I like I said in the Instagram, I've been there. You have not. I have surfed this wave. You have not. Trust me, if it was tough, if it was difficult, if it was the box, I would say it's difficult. 
it's not a difficult wave if you're a relatively good surfer. It's an yeah. easy roll in, drop okay. in. I'm not even addressing just that. Because, I'm not even addressing Just that. because he like waited till the very last minute. He probably paddled up the face, did a turn, one stroke, late drop. Yeah, you can get those too. But I'm just saying if you're sitting there waiting for it, the takeoff is relatively benign relevant to the, uh, relative to the rest of the wave. You done? Yes. God, <laughs> Here, I can't believe I have to address- express my, tell you this. No, no, like I'm not said, addressing that. What I'm, my, my experience. That's fine. You're yeah. entitled to that. What I am addressing is that if I bring up anybody's name other than Kelly Slater, <laughs> you write them off. That is my point. That is so You may not be true. right about P-Pass, but if I say like, oh, I saw the raddest thing, it's an Australian or a Brazilian, you immediately go, nah, tell me when they win a world title or tell me when they make the CT. Yeah. So then they make the CT, Matt Banning. And uh, tell me when he wins an event. And then they win an event. Uh, tell me when he wins a world title. No, no, well, and then if they win a world title, tell me when he wins 11 world titles. No, no, no. That's nev- how it I've never said that. You've totally gone off the deep end. Not, I, went, I took but it 5% the, farther than the truth. 15%. But here's the fact is that, look, there's a lot of guys. The, the surf world is filled with lots of great surfers that could be in the top 34 and that will fall out. You know, so... You and I both, and I think the surf public really appreciates sort of the top 10 guys, if you will. Yeah. And that's all I'm sort of trying to, to crystallize is that, look, there's a lot of great guys. Matt Banning shreds, no doubt about it. So does some guy that's not even on the tour that we don't even know who lives somewhere and you're going to discover him in three years and go, oh, my God, it's the next coming. And yeah. I'm just saying that there's a lot of guys and then there's great guys. And I prefer, and I know you do too, the great guys. Now, could Matt Banning become a great guy? Absolutely. Well, I but think, I'm just saying that I've tried to focus. I on. agree. I, I think that the brilliance uh, or the um, not brilliance, the benefit of what we're doing here is the ability to tease apart nuance. And so, yeah, if you only have five minutes to talk about the best surfers, you talk about those 10. But I would argue that Matt Banning isn't among those hordes of good surfers. You don't he- hear me on this show singing the praises of Garrett Parks and Davey Cathals and even Not Ricardo yet. Christie. I never have. But because, you usually could. No, because I can define the nuance between banting surfing versus the rest of those guys and highlight it two years ago and say, hey, this kid has promise. Or Jay Davies. This, these are the nuances that make Jay Davies different than the hordes that you're talking about. Let's keep our eye on that. And so you and I as critics should be able to define what those nuances. What are the nuances of Jay Davies? Uh, power, style, grace, finesse—like okay, all the guys does, have that. No, they not all the guys do. He well, does not all the guys have. He good does style. airs as good as Noah Dean, but has power like Michelle Barrett. How old is Jay Davies? Twenty-six. I don't know. Give or take a year. Okay. But the point is, I pointed him out Look, last year. Or I pointed him out last show because I love him, and he put out a cool video, and then he happens to qualify for the very next event. Yeah, no, and, and so, more power to him. All I was stating in the last show is, look, Alex Nose could have rolled into that tube. You could have. I could have. I'm telling you, it's first not— First of all, Alex Nose would have been riding, like, Alex Nose is a great crap. surfer, Yeah, by but the he way. wouldn't be— surfing. I mean, if you want to start to, like, digest the nuances of different— like, you know, we need to we need to have sort of a come to Jesus in that, you know, we talk about competitive surfing a lot. But what about just normal good surfing, which, you know, Alex Nose isn't going to do an aerial. It doesn't take anything away from his great surfing ability. No or question. say Ryan Birch. Like no there's question. guys out there that are some of the greatest surfers in the world. Um, Craig Anderson, yeah. Dave Rostovich, yada, yada. You know, the list is long of guys that we like to watch surf because they have great style yeah. and they do it right. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be competitive animals. 
And well, so that's I'm, the suggesting question that, I'm suggesting that until you're in the top 10, you're just one of these competitive, you're just another competitive guy that knows how to do it. You know, and maybe Matt Banning and Jay Davies are going to are going to become the next Parkos of the world or the next Jordy Smiths. But I, you know, right now, until they prove it, I'm not going to just necessarily hang my hat on it. Now, it's fun to, to hope. And, you know, it's always good to have an underdog. And, mm-hmm. you know, is Jay Davies on my fantasy team? Yes. No, he's not. He's not on my fantasy team. But so, you know, there's some vagaries in what you and I, when we're talking about various guys and what sort of realm we're talking about them. There are. And I would never expect that Jay Davies would even try to qualify for an event. But obviously this event came to his backyard. He was in the trials and he made it through the, he won the trials. So I think that, um, we'll get to see. Who goes further, Alejo Muniz or Jay Davies? That's a good question because- Alejo's the number one. He's got on the competitive QS event. savvy. Alejo's got so much competitive savvy, and I think Alejo's hungry because he just got kicked off the world tour last year. All his Brazilian so, buddies. What I did notice was that because there's, there's not a Brazilian a, storm, is Alejo like the Brazilian little like fog? He led the <laughs> storm. Actually, he was the eye of the storm for a while there. But um, what's interesting with this event is because it doesn't have a title sponsor that is a surf brand. There's no. Um, you know, uh, grandfather, Dave, in Dane Reynolds, surfer. Yeah. There's guy, no yeah. surfer who's on that team. So they, what they did was they did a trialist event for one of the wild cards. And then they also allowed the number one ranked surfer on the QS to have the second wild card spot, which is Alejo Muniz because he got booted last year off the CT and, um, just didn't qualify. Well, basically. I would suggest that Alejo would be a good pick. Uh, if you, you know, if you only have a little bit of money on your team, See, because would, he's competitively savvy. I, I'm going to argue that because of the swell forecast and the uniqueness of the waves at this location, competitive savvy is less important than local knowledge. And Jay Davies is the local. I, I, that's, that's a great point, too. That's a very good point. In fact, I had sort of written off uh, John John and had taken him off of my team until I saw the forecast. Same here. And I, I put John, him back on. John John I'm has like, not been on my team all year. If it's ye- Macking Box yeah. or if it's just Macking Margaret River, yeah. John John's just going to shine. Well, you know, they relate those waves to open water, like Hawaiian style waves, where John John is from and does well. But John John's also done well at Margaret in the past. I don't know if he won it as a QS or he made the final. I think he made the final against Josh Kerr or something uh, one year that Josh Kerr won. But so so my point is that John John's proven out there and he's proven in that style of waves. Also, did you see on Peter King's Instagram last night the alley oop that John John stomped out there? No, he stomped one yesterday. It's all over. They put it on Stab Mag, a, a frame grab of it. But Peter King posted the actual video about an hour or two before we hit record here. Yeah, and um, you know, blo- howling offshore winds looks like the right at Margaret River, and John John just throws his full rotation alley oop and stomps it crazy well it's you know you mentioned offshore winds the winds are supposed to be really good for the basically um it's i guess wednesday there so wednesday through saturday through sunday through monday there's there's another storm swell that hits saturday so we've got this one for the next three days and then one that's just as big and maybe meteor because it's going to be on top of this one for saturday so plenty of swell and guys like john john who you feel like could do well in that type of open ocean uh situation guys like that I may, might not normally put on my team like a Kai Otten. I thought about putting you know? Kai. That's the kind of guy where you're like, you know what? We've got a big wave venue here in Australia and a, a big burly goofy foot like Kai Otten might be a good call. And he does, he does well in big waves, you know. But my only question with 
uh, that is that have goofy footers ever really succeeded out there? I don't. When you I look at the rankings for, I don't they, expect him to win, but he could make the make semis. Rounds. What if they run it at the box? Well, that's a whole nother thing. Like the box throws the whole thing in because I had stacked my my team with goofy foots. Oh, really? Yeah, thinking See, it's just going to be a crappy lefts, you know, like mushy oh, rolly lefts, you know. I intentionally kicked the goofy foots off because no goofy footers ever do well out there. And now with the box, because I, I don't think goofy footers are going to do well at the box. I just think it's it's more of a, it seems like, and I don't, I base it just off the imagery I see. All I see imagery-wise is regular foots in the two. Sure. You know, occasionally you'll see like Corey Lopez or something. But anyway, speaking of the box and other venues, there's been a rumor going around. I'm sure you saw this on tracksmag.com, but um, North Point, which is the most uh, just revered, just the most epic right-hand point break right there um that's been um bandied about the wsl's trying to get the proper sanctioning there's some loopholes and policy hurdles that they have to go through with um surfing western australia and some other sort of governing bodies of surfing there in that area and no one really knows for sure but um and in fact uh, dave proden of the wsl the vice president of communications told tracks that again the primary venue is margaret river uh, alternatively, they have, of course, the box, but they ha- that he has no specific comment regarding North Point. Um, have you been to that part of the no. world? Okay. I've been to Australia a few times. I've never been to WA. I'm just curious how close all those things are in proximity and what's the practicality. I mean, do they have to move the venue? Because yeah, I know they do. They, they can have to leave, move the venue. But can, they can leave the contest site intact for Margaret's or the box, right? I'm not sure about that either. Didn't they, didn't they have the judges out on a boat? Oh, did they? I I don't know. You know what? I don't know, but I, I, I want to say that I thought they put the judges out on a boat, but that would be really difficult, right? Yeah. Unless they had some crazy wireless or something. Because last year they ran um, part of a round at the box, a couple of heats You know what? I'm, I'm ignorant. To, I'm naive to how that all goes down. I'm yeah. not sure. So um, do you... Who who did you lock in your fantasy team? Yeah. Then? Did you reshuffle yeah. Yeah, footers or I who did. do you got? Uh, I've got Kelly and John John, Ace Buck and Kai Otten, Owen Wright. Um, and I'm not sure who the back part of my still uh, might goof- be Freddie P. Still a lot of goofy footers. Yeah. I reshuffled my team entirely, dude. Like taking a brand new tact, compl- like got rid of everybody. My question to you is. How's the Brazilian storm going to fare in big way, big open ocean? Adriano will be fine. You think so? I think Gabe has proven that he can handle all of that stuff. But um, has he? You know, the the thing with when you have like, you know, tons of water moving around and a big open ocean and a huge swell is it's easy to go out there with a game plan and it's just as easy to lose your game plan. Sure. You know, like, Oh, I'm going to sit and wait for those medium sized lefts to come in. I'm going to score good. But when you're out there and you're jockeying and there's another guy paddling and he's catching rights and you're kind of like, Oh, what should I go for this one? I think it's easy to get off of your game out here competitively. You know, mm-hmm. you were saying, look, it doesn't matter as much maybe because the waves are so big. I think that can scatter your game plan just as easily. So Gabriel, we know he's competitively savvy. Um, Philippe Toledo, that's a real wild card. I think everyone wants to see how Philippe Toledo is going to do. Absolutely. You know, he's had, you know, some marginal waves at best. And now we've got a real meaty swell. Is his surfing going to um, translate to this type of of meaty situation? Right. Well, for my team, I've got John John, Josh Kerr, because he's won the event twice. Julian Wilson, because I just believe that it's his time to shine. Yeah. B. Durbich. 
for being just a reliable powerhouse. Good pick. Parco, who I never have on my team. He's a good pick. I got Parco. I got Jay Davies. And then that's a bad pick. Okay. We'll see. We'll revisit. (laughs) I'm just teasing you. And then two, um, two Hawaiian, uh, low budge picks, uh, dusty Payne, sea bass. I have Dusty Payne. That's a good pick, too. Dusty Payne's great for the price. Yeah. Although he hasn't really delivered on... Well, well think, he didn't deliver at Bells. Yeah. So that's my team. Um, did We should probably address Fantasy Surfer real quick. Yeah. Um, I'm paid up, right? Did not I, did not I, for I, Margaret's. Oh, yeah. I thought I sent you 100 bucks. No. I only sent you 10 bucks Originally. Yeah. Okay. I need to do um, that. So... Uh, Fantasy Surfer, we did have a winner. Uh, Philosoraptor won. Which the is men's a great. Division. We need to give him credit for his name. Well, it's his such name, a great it's, name. It, the first half looks like Philosopher. It's P H I. Yeah, right, right. And then the last is Raptor. So Philosoraptor, not Velociraptor. So does he rap about philosophy? That's a good question. I think he does. I thought he was a dinosaur who was into philosophy. Wow. You know? Like a Velociraptor. Um, anyways, he won the men's division, which was uh, 230 bucks. 23, uh, 23 people contributed to that pool. And then in the women's division, there was actually a four-way tie for first. All four people won, huh? No, because, <laughs> because I ranked 32nd, but the top 31 did not wager. So I took the pot in the women's division. So, uh, How many people have joined our, our, our fun league well, where there's a the cash... In the clubhouse, there's over 200 members, but in the wager, there's about 20 for the men's and 10 for the women. There was for the first event. For the second one, I haven't finished calculating it yet, but somewhere around there, it's not a lot different. I'm going to PayPal you right now while we're on the air, so I don't... Do it after. Okay. I did look up this Titans of Mavericks thing, by the way. Their Um, their website does say Grant Baker won last year. Oh, maybe... So, unless they're mistaken. Maybe I've just made a complete fool of myself by not even following up on the uh, yeah i thought it was peter mel i know pete mel but won. regardless shouldn't you invite the past champions uh, obviously yeah but we should also correctly point out who the champs are gosh I, that's so funny that I've, i failed to to I, I just assumed that it was peter yeah no worries. so i guess i owe an apology to cartel and and Griffin gas and to twiggy and to all those that I perhaps called out in the last show. Cause I thought it was Peter Mel. So one other quick thing, So I apologize to you guys for blundering. Um, I don't know what you have next on your notes, but it's more we... Margaret river stuff. Okay. Carry on the bad cast. Yes. Um, it's on the airwaves. It's alternative commentary to what the WSL commentary co- uh, commentators bring you. We've been begging for it. Yeah. Um, they did it for the finals of the Bells event. I did not hear it. I, had, I heard about it, though, and I heard it was pretty good. Um, basically, what this is, is it's live-to-air audio experience. Um, it's an alternative to, as we said, what, what uh, you know, Martin Potter and those guys are going to bring you. And the commentary team includes Surfing World editor Von Blakey. Uh, it was Ronnie Blakey's brother. Right. Um, Coastal Watches, Mike Jennings, a guy named Danny Johnson, and some legendary pro surfing guys like Matt Hoy and Rob Bain. So they're promising to bring personality and humor and a little bit of wisdom, uh, celebrating the great moments and the um, sharing stories, and basically not giving you such a homogenized uh, broadcast. And they do it, they simulcast um, right on top of of the webcast. So you can listen to them instead of listening to what the WSL provides. Now, 
I'm sort of a lawyer buddy of mine who actually sent me this and said, hey, this was cool. I listened to this. It was really neat. But I'm concerned that I think the WSL is going to be mad about this. I would think so. And so he sent me sort of the NFL's cease and desist. You know, whenever you watch an NFL game, you see that classic, you know, any use of this content without prior written consent is prohibited, strictly prohibited, blah, blah, blah. NFL, like, they own everything. Anything that's NFL or Super Bowl, if you use it without their consent, they sick their lawyers on you. Right. And, um, and you know, my, my lawyer buddy was basically saying, hey, I wonder if the WSL is going to be upset about this, you know. And, and he sort of looked into it a little bit more and, and said that, you know, quite frankly, they could certainly say, hey, you know, cease and desist. You can't do this, you know. And, but my lawyer buddy said he's not sure they have a leg to stand on, that it's just simply free speech. Yeah. They're not necessarily taking anything. They're just – adding something to it mm-hmm. um so i don't know if the wsl even cares about this or knows about it or is proceeding legally with this but check out the bad cast it's only going to be for the final oh okay that's cool yeah I so think for the final at margaret river they'll have the bad cast that's an attainable goal for the bad casters like yeah. if you committed to doing the entire event that could get tedious very tedious um, which, which is sort of you know proves out what we always talk about look it's just hard to do a totally. good com a good uh, webcast with you know how 28 hours of time to fill it's yeah. gonna you're gonna hear the same things from the same guys totally you know? and a lot and they have a production team behind them feeding them stuff too so you know without that you're even more left out and you know you think about like tennis broadcasts and you say well, well look tennis tournaments have days and days and days of coverage that they have to fill but we're talking Point after point after point. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, he's serving point. He did a shot. You can immediately go, great cross, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Great shot, great cut shot, whatever. And then within, you know, 10 seconds, they're serving the next point. Like, there's just so, it's so much easier to fill all of that time with a sport that's just going back and forth. There's not all the dead time. If there was 20 minutes in between serves. It would be hideous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I like the idea. And listeners have told us that we should actually do a broadcast like that with the WSL. And I know you've talked about it and called it the salty cast or something like that. Yeah. There's the salty button. I've said for years that, that yeah. there should be a salty button where you can listen to the WSL guys or you can click a salty button and just your yeah. random Joe's chime in. It's just basically an open channel. Well, when you've mentioned that and then listeners have told us we should do it, I've actually thought about logistics and, and, it, and before I even got into logistics, I just thought to myself, I'm not interested in doing that. Like that you're opening yourself up for so much ridicule, first of all, and alienating yourself from the WSL and whoever those powers are. But um, it's just, it's not my scene. I'm glad somebody else is doing it, but I'm not that guy. Well, let me ask you about, you know, we're two events into this year. This is the year where we're supposed to see um, bigger and greater production value and quality. Um, do you sense that we've gotten that, or is it because the waves have been sort of marginal at best for both events that Mother Nature sort of wins out here no matter what you do production-wise? If the waves are crappy, you're a little bit disappointed as an end user. That uh, Yes and yes, those things are both true. I think we've gotten a little bit better production quality. There's a couple of things I'll address later in today's show um, in terms of media that they're putting out, WSL is putting out. But I also think that quality surfing and waves trump all. You know what I mean? Like, there's no amount of um, production quality that would make up for crappy surf, which we haven't really discussed Bell's Beach at all because uh, that event ended prior uh, or after our last show, but prior to this. And it was a really rough 
tough forecast, obviously. There was a couple moments on the Bells Bowl, but overall it was really tricky. I could not have been more wrong in my assessment of what was going to happen in that event. I questioned Felipe's ability at Bells. He did very, very well. Jeremy actually did well, who we questioned. Kelly did better. Uh, well, Kelly didn't do great, but I expected him to not make a heat. Nat Young came back into form, which we did not anticipate at all. He looked incredible. And then, um, I don't know. There's I would like to see what happened to the ratings after... After Kelly lost to Gabby because, um, you know, I tweeted it that I did, I did lose a little bit of interest at that point. There was, there was really only Nat Young left for me to root for right. from, a, from a, you know, nationalistic standpoint. Yeah. Um, and who, who I like, who I will root for, I think he's great, but, you know, he doesn't have the cachet that Kelly does. And so I'm wondering, did you lose interest at all? No. Because all your Brazilian guys were still flying. Exactly. You had the Brazilian flag on with the Matt Banning number on the back and everything. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Um, I told you that I have no, my money isn't on Kelly anymore anyways. So I, I would prefer Kelly to win, but if he doesn't, that's actually my conflict with Fantasy Surfer, by the way, is I find myself rooting for Adriano, which I would never do in any other scenario. You know what I mean? Just that's, because he's on my team. That's been my conflict with fantasy sports in general. Yeah. Fantasy baseball, all of a sudden you find yourself rooting for a guy that's going against the Padres. Right. So I don't play it anymore. Yeah. And so now my team is really an emotional team, which explains why I'm losing so much money. <laughs> because I, 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 I was thinking about taking Kelly off. And, put, and I think I took... I took somebody off and I put Adriano on there. I'm like, Adriano could do good here, you know, yeah. but I can't find myself rooting for Adriano yeah. in that hideous stink bug style. It's disgusting. Well, I'd like to address that. Uh, did you watch the final with Mick Fanning? I did. Fanning was on my team and I love, I mean, I just feel like Fanning is the informed surfer this year. Yeah. I think he looks so good. 
And um, I've never been a huge fan of him, but I have grown to really appreciate and admire his work ethic, tenacity. He's got all the fire. He's a true professional. He's he, very well-rounded. He really is. He's he's the Kelly Slater of Australia from a standpoint of all things considered. Sure. You know, you, there's no flaw in his game. There is no flaw in his there game. There really isn't. He'll punch up an aerial if he needs to do an aerial. He's not going to do a, a 360 aerial in the final seconds in New York or whatever. But, right. But maybe, but you know, but we've seen him do a few errors. Yeah. So he tied in the final against Adriana De Souza. It's the first tie ever in men's, you know, whatever. Uh, and Fanning won on a countback, meaning his single one of his waves was the highest single wave score of the of the heat. I did not think that heat was as close as the judges scored it. I thought Fanning surfed light years better than Adriano, like. Twice as good as Adriano. Yeah, style. I mean, the style, right? This style, is a situation for where sure. The style. Adriano looks like he's working. You style. Know? And Mick looks like he's surfing. Style, very much for sure. But additionally, just in precision and comfort on the wave and ability. and all, Like, Fanning did not get as good of waves, but just shredded the crap out of him with no hiccup in his step at all. Like you said, Adriano looks like he's working and he's going to milk it. And you're like, he's he's hoping this next session comes and there's all this anticipation. Eh. And it's like, I feel anxious watching him surf. You know, whereas Fanning, I just melt into my chair and just go to a different place. And so for me, <laughs> oh my God. this is pure poetry, Bass. That is so Take much notes. hyperbole. <laughs> I melt into my chair and go to another place. Hey, if you don't enjoy surfing as much as I do, I can't. I can't. No, I enjoyed laughing at that comment more than much of the last WSL. (laughs) They should put me on the salty cast. That would be good. You would. So, so, but that is, I'm not, I mean, that's not hyperbole. That's what happened, you know? And so I'm watching this and then I see the scores come out and I'm just thinking to myself, I guess Adriano did do eight turns that were pretty powerful. So I guess the judges have to acknowledge that. But good God, Fanning is just so much better than he is. Like, yeah. like there's no question in my eyes. And so I understand the limitations of judging. We analyze that at great length. But I would also like to put a little caveat in there and just say, can we as surfers just acknowledge who the far better surfer was in that yeah. event? Yeah, exactly. Like, it is, it's just so crystal clear. Crystal clear. It's and, and, and one time when I was in, um, I was actually on a trip with uh, Chris Christensen and we were talking about a new judging system. And I think I've mentioned this to you before, but it's the zero to one scale. And it's basically like a guy rides a wave. And if he and if you liked what he did, you give him a one. And if you don't, you give him a zero. Hmm. And it's sort of based on would you want your kid to surf like that? You know, and if the, if the guy rides a wave and you're like, yeah, I'd be stoked if that was my kid. Like, yeah. I'd be stoked. Well, right. then he gets a one. Yeah. And if you look at it and you go, oh, my God, that guy's got a hideous style. And I don't care how many off the lips he does or right. how many carves. That's gross. And I would be embarrassed if my kids surf like that. You give him a zero. Yeah. And in finals, you know, pretty hideous what we saw from Adriano. I mean, I'm sorry, but he has no style. Well, here's where I will pat Adriano on the back is maybe if there was no such thing as competition and Adriano could surf whatever way he wanted to. I bet he surfs way better than free surfs. But Is that where check, you're going? No, check this out. If he could surf any way that he wanted to his whole life, he may be a beautifully poetic surfer. He knows this is what I need to do to fit the judging criteria. And like our uh, email from Eduardo said, 
winning is paramount. Winning is the most important. So in his mind, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what Fanning's doing. I need to tick these boxes, and here I go. And he's, he's executed that. Yeah, but he, in, in so doing, he sold out the way he rides a wave for the judges. Which, which like, if you want to win, go play ping pong. You no. know, like, play no. pool. Play no. basketball. For Americans, for that's whatever. How, no, because we're looking at it through our filter. Yes, that's the way you look is more important. He's looking at it through that Brazilian filter of winning is paramount. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's so, what I'm saying. Look, I'm don't, don't sell out your surfing for it. Surf like you want to surf and go play ping pong if you want to win. That's not selling out. For them, I, that's just I would suggest, paramount. I would, well, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not selling out. Maybe he, he'll, he'd rather, obviously, he'd rather surf to win than surf to look good. Very, that's my point. Yeah. That's my point. That's so sad. I think That's sad. I think if, again, if there was no such thing as competition, maybe Adriano would be Craig Anderson. You know what I mean? Like, left to his own devices, he may just go out and express himself. But that's not what he's there to do. He's Is there, to there win. a Brazilian surfer whose style you go, yeah. Miguel Pupa. Yeah, Miguel's got a good style, huh? Miguel, for sure. And yeah. I mean, Felipe doesn't look bad. No, he doesn't. No, and neither does Gabby. I mean, those, but they do look a little bit, um, you know, molded. Yeah. You know, and so do, there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of North American surfers that are that Without way, too. I would say Nat Young looks a little bit like he was, you know, force fed through the NSSA ringer. You know, there's yeah. guys that, there's only, and that's really what makes the great surfers, right? The Parkos, the McFannings, the Kelly Slaters, these guys. The Jay Davies. Adam Melling, these guys that that surf the way they surf, no matter you know, with a jersey on, without a jersey on, and they make it look good and smooth and effortless. And as they're they're dancing with the wave rather than like working against it, makes me melt into my chair. Oh my god! Hey, one thing I want to point out is with the women's event at Bells, I'm concerned going into the women's event at Margaret's. Send them out. That's one of my notes here. Send the women out in the first heat in the 15 footers. Let's do this. Why? Why not? They're professional surfers. Well, because we want to see the best surfing in the best conditions, and I think that we'll see. Oh, you mean you don't think that the, the the women are good surfers? That's not what I said at all. We're going to see better surfing by the men in those conditions. We're going to see better surfing in all conditions by the men. Well, now who's jumping on the grenade? Well, no, but th- that's just what you're saying. <laughs> it that's is. exactly well, what you're saying. It is what I'm saying, but I also I want to point out something about the Bells event. I mean, if we want to see pretty women surfing, let's just have a longboard situation at Malibu. Those girls rip it. There's something in between those they two scenarios. Great. I agree, that's true, but I think there's a happy medium between those scenarios. But what I want to point out with the Hold Bells... On, but yeah. Wait a minute, okay. because cause what's happening here is, you know, Ziff's wife said, let's buy the WSL. I want to promote women surfing. It's beautiful and wonderful. They've done that. They've got the best women surfers in the world right now. I'm quite confident that Tyler Wright and Steph Gilmore could go out there and make it look really good. And I think that they should be put to the test. Like, I'm not saying this is like a lark or a joke for no, our I podcast. Yeah. I think it would be gr- the greatest thing that ever happened to women surfing if you started to push. They need to be pushed. You can't just send them out we, at Honolulu Bay, four to six foot Honolulu Bay. I mean, that's easy for these girls. You, you're forgetting that we pushed, we meaning I wasn't involved, but as pro like, surfing pushed pro at surfing the pipeline pushed, event. At the Pipeline event in December and, and also continue. at Cloud Break. But no, at Cloud Break, it was pretty disgraceful. Yeah, it's and not going to be pretty. There's going to be moments. There's going to be hiccups in the situation here. So but then you scale back and give, and then put them out. I in. don't think you scale back. I think that you, you look, if it's flawless 10 to 15 foot Margaret River offshore and groomed, girls, go get it. Yeah. Show us what you're made of. And most of those girls, nine out of 10 of them would be like, let's go. Coco Ho would be all about it. Steph would Tatiana be all about it. Tyler would, there. Tyler would be all about it. All the Hawaiian girls would be all about it. Yeah. So and I say do it. Okay. But 
here's here's one hiccup along the no, way. As an end user, I want to see the guys. <laughs> here's here's one hiccup along the way. At Bell's, conditions were unruly and like double overhead one of the days that they sent the girls out there. And um, they gave Silvana a 10-point ride in her event. There was a couple nines from the top girls. So I, I didn't watch it live, but I saw the score lines, and I thought, oh, my God, the girls were ripping. So I pull up the heat analyzer and click through and watch some of the waves. The judging was atrocious. Like Silvana's 10, I clicked on it, watched it, and then I thought, oh, they must have labeled this wrong. Like that was a four or five point ride. She hung on to a couple little turns on a double overhead. Like it was a difficult wave to surf. I wouldn't have been able to surf it well, but I was just like, this was a four or five at best. No, it was a 10 point ride. Same thing with the nines from Carissa and everything. So in the more... um, in the smaller conditions, like especially on finals day with the top flight girls, they surfed really, really well. But in those tricky conditions, it was just like, I don't feel like the judges are doing any favors by throwing out these big scores because to me, I'm a fan and I'm fully invested. I see that score and I'm like, oh, now I'm game. I want to watch it. Or at cloud break, I tune in to watch the eight foot cloud break event last year. But then when you see what you see, it's almost patronizing to just put them out there, just hoping that, you know, that, oh, no, we should give them every opportunity. Like, I think that there's a happy medium where, like at the snapper event, they served brilliantly at the snapper event. So, I don't know. They have to kind of, um, I don't know. I do know. Okay. Thanks Talk for asking. Me. I already said what I said. I, I I'm just going to back that. I just think that it's it's good for women's pro surfing to get the whole Barbie, you know, Alana and a G-string vibe out of it. I agree with that. And, and lift them up as athletes. We need to send them out there, you know, like, this is what it's all about. Plus, it's, 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 there's only upside. They're not expected to do well. Go out there and blow doors, and everyone's going to be like, wow. They've really, you know, the, okay. again, we've ramped it up like we sort of did at Cloudbreak. We're, we're pushing the envelope I here. guess I guess here's where my internal dilemma is that I haven't vocalized is, is the downside all the ire of the internet and not enough viewers. If the viewers turn in for heat one and get turned off, no more eyeballs for the rest of the round. And then all the comment sections go alive. You don't have a product then. You don't have pro surfing. So that's what I'm saying is the WSL does have a product if they keep it in these certain venues, but then they try to push the envelope and go into these other venues like you're suggesting. And, the, the I'm suggesting the, whim, the the world's best surfers in the world's best waves. That's their that's like word for word. It their, is their motto. Right. That's all I'm suggesting. Exactly. That's not asking too much of them. Well, the question is, good as you pointed out earlier, good waves are different to Alex Nose than they are to somebody else, depending on their ability. Every surfer in the world knows that ten to fifteen foot offshore Margaret River Uber clean insane long period swell is. Is perfect. Like the women know it. Everyone, you can't say it's. I not don't think perfect. that's true, dude. Like Aaron Cormican is, you know, was a, a, a notable surfer for quite a few years there from Florida. Cormican would shred out there. He no, rips. Cormican admittedly doesn't surf big waves. He wouldn't paddle out if it was over six feet. That's his thing. He's like, screw it. I'd rather surf 
three to four foot beach break well, barrels. Look, that's why he's not on the tour. But I'm just but saying that, that you're not talking about on the tour. You're talking about top level surfers. I'm, you're saying every surfer in the world knows that that's perfect waves. I'm saying no. There's examples of guys who don't. Those surf are those perfect waves. waves, just because they don't surf them. That's a different thing. Those are perfect waves. That's what you live for. You live for a swell where you're going. Oh shit. I'm this saying kind of heavy. My point I is, think I can do my this. point is that there's I bet that there's women on that tour that would rather surf four foot snapper. Perfect I'm sure there than are. But 15 th- foot then they shouldn't be on the tour. Well, now you're arguing a different point. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm saying this is the world's best surfers and the world's best waves. By the way, how is that email from a guy saying I need to take it easy on you because we sound like an old bickering couple? <laughs> I was That's, like, I don't even remember being hard on Bassy. I want to thank my son for writing that email. Oh, was that? that was? <laughs> I mean, I thought he had a good point. Like, we don't need to bicker, but I also thought, like, you give it just as much as you, oh, for sure, as I give it. No, for sure. I didn't appreciate getting thrown under the bus in that email. Anyways, um, Margaret, lock in your team, right? I guess it's too late now by the time people are listening to this. Uh, Big Wave World Tour, I think, just made maybe the smartest move. I do, too. I've got that on my list. Good good call. Dude, seriously. That's an an event that's going to make a lot of sense. Dungeons got booted off the Big Wave World Tour because of the local surfers didn't want them to participate, as we discussed in the last episode. If you'd like to learn more, you should go back and listen to that. but what they did was they replaced it with Puerto Escondido, which is a massive – it's the Mexican pipeline. But it's a beach break. It's not a reef break. What are your thoughts? I, my thoughts are I, – I, first of all, you're right. This is a great move for Peter Mel and for the Big Wave World Tour and for Gary Linden and for the WSL. Uh, my thoughts are why not have the AS – why not have the pro, men's pro tour there? If these guys are the best surfers and the best waves in the world, again, seriously, this comes down to this. At Puerto Escondido, that is a legitimate, like, heavy situation where the, where the so-called best surfers in the world should be out there. In other words, the Big Wave World Tour always goes, well, these guys are specialized for dungeons or specialized for Mavericks. And there is a crew of guys that specialize for Mavericks. Right. Cool, whatever. Go do your thing. And there's, you know, specialized guys wherever. But at Puerto Escondido, when it's, you know, like you're riding a 9.6 gun, the 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 men's world tour should be at that event. That's where yeah. we should be. You're going to be going, Oh my God, Kelly Slater would have made that way. If you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think that we're sort of moving into an area where it's like, why isn't the men's tour at, at Puerto Escondido? If we're having a big wave world tour event and it's 15 to 20 foot Puerto and it's mean and it's the real deal. And you're on a nine, six, the best surfers in the world should be in that event. It shouldn't be the best quote unquote, big wave world, you know, big wave riders. Cause Aren't the WSL guys the best surfers in the world or not? And if they're not, then you're selling me something short here. Well, there's potential perhaps for the future. I think this is a good stepping stone into that uh, reality maybe. Um, I like that it is a super challenging wave, not only to paddle out, but obviously to surf. Shane Dorian said when he got that bomb out there that's in the contention for one of the rides of the year, I think – he said that he surfed like two or three days, I think, and it, that was the only good wave that he got in that period of time. Alex Gray, when being interviewed about this, said, you know, there's five-hour windows where only one guy makes a wave in that five hours. Everybody else wipes out, breaks boards, gets closed out, sure, all that sure. sort of thing. I've, I've seen so, it. I know exactly what, what's happening. Yes, yeah. That's all So true. I love that chaos about it, you know? And also, the guys who are making that one wave are the most skilled guys in the lineup. There's plenty of other skilled guys there, but it's not a fluke that those guys made that way. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's 
good timing that you bring this up, right? Because I sent you my Big Wave World mm. Tour Double XL, whatever they call it now, the Big Wave Awards, the WSL. Your ballot. I, I'm, yeah, I sent you my ballot, and the the winning ride is Shane Dorian paddling into a beast of Puerto Escondido. That is the ride of the year. That's an incredible ride. Well, it's not yeah. the winning ride. Well, I mean, on my ballot, right? On You're my picked. ballot, that's what I picked. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it speaks to what you're saying is that look, it's 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 engaging, it's enthralling, it's it's magnificent, it's it's crazy. One of the other benefits of this event, as compared to the other big wave world tour stops, is that it's super easy to forecast, which is out of Shane's own mouth. He says it's easy to forecast accurately. Basically, um, Alex Gray added that the event will run no matter what. If you give it this window of time. They're oh, definitely going to run. Oh, there's no Whereas doubt. there's other spots, as we saw last year, that don't run. Half the spots on tour don't run because they only break five times a year. Well, the Puerto thing breaks about, a lot. The thing about Puerto is in, that's interesting, and it depends on how many guys are in it. And you probably know, I think there's 24 guys in the Big Wave World Tour or something. Don't, don't know. So, you know, it's like, can you run? Because Puerto blows out usually like around 10 o'clock in the morning. So okay. from 7 to 10 is prime time. You might be able to get it till noon, mm-hmm. you know. So can you run the whole event in those four or five hours? I'm not sure you can. I think you might need eight hours for the Big Wave World Tour, which means, okay, we wait until the next morning. And a lot of times at Puerto, the next morning is when it's on. Like mm-hmm. it dropped from 15 feet and it's now legit. 10 to 12 with some sneaker scary ones, but now a lot more guys are in the water, but it's not necessarily the big wave world tour anymore. Now it's like you, Kai Otten should be out there and yeah. this stuff, you know, like, so it'll be interesting to see if they can squeeze the whole event into that time when it is legit 15 to 20 feet on the face. Right. And usually those mornings are a little junky, a little scary. It takes some time for the wind to clean it up. It's usually, you know, from eight to 10 is when it's prime time. That first hour is usually a little bit, you know, spooky. Yeah. Well, that's the point is that it makes for a great spectators event. You know, like a lot of those other spots, Jaws, Dungeons, are out to sea. They're miles out to sea. It's hard for spectators to, to view. This adds theater. It adds I'm, an I'm, element of theater. And I agree, but I'm suggesting that you and I and the listeners are going to, if we tune into the final, you know, the semifinals and the final, we're going to be going... It looks perfect. I'd like to see Kelly in this. Oh, yeah. I agree completely. What else I like about it is that it adds diversity to the Big Wave World Tour. It's a beach break. All those other spots that are out to sea are reef breaks, you know? So this adds, it also adds a barrel, you know? I mean, Jaws barrels, but you can get a a winner of the year at Jaws. Exactly. That's all you're going to get. If you just make the drop at Puerto, you're getting a three. Yeah. you got to get shacked. Yeah, it's going to be fun for sure. So. I, mean, I saw this and was excited about it. But, again, we'll see how it plays out because I think that the, the men's championship tour should be at Puerto Escondido. Well, I think it could be in the future. If this event has success, I think that's something that we could argue for, yeah. campaign for. Yeah. Since everything we discuss on this podcast comes to fruition. <laughs> Even Peter Mel being the defending champion of Mavericks, which apparently is wrong. So I need to eat crow on that one. Never thought I'd hear you admit it, dude. I thought you were just going to claim that Titans of Mag- Mavericks well, got their website If I wasn't wrong. so vocal about it, like I was like sending emails to like the Santa Cruz Sentinel going, what do you think about this? You know, like, <laughs> Your point was still correct, that he should be invited. He you really just, should. But you just had the yeah. year wrong. That's yeah. not a big deal. Yeah. But I didn't think I'd ever admit, hear you admit that you were wrong, though. That was really... No, are you kidding? I'm, I'm wrong more than I'm right. right. I'll be the first one to... Let's I don't want to pretend like I'm some... Like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to take that drop right now and put it on my outgoing, <laughs> outgoing message for my phone is just, 
how you've kind of, how you reach David's scales, you know and then it'll be you going. Hi, I'm wrong more often than I'm right. <laughs> you know what? I need I need some humility. You know what I'm saying? Like that's good for me. Here we are, an old couple bickering once again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? There's been some sad news. I'm sure you saw this. It's horrific, actually. This 13 year old upstart surfer from Reunion Island was viciously attacked aggressively, and um, he died. You know, he was torn apart limb from limb. Apparently, according to many news reports, with all of his friends watching it happen. It's this is a really gory shark attack. This isn't your you know get pulled underwater and not sure what happened to him shark attack. This is like being torn, like I said, you know, very viciously. Just a, a gruesome attack with everybody seeing it happen. This poor thirteen-year-old uh, kid. I mean, my heart goes out to everyone involved here. This was just horrific, and I know that I speak for David when I say, "Wow, man, this is horrible." Are the sharks extra angry in Reunion Island? I think there might be something to that. I've, I've, I remember when there was, you know, a few, maybe it was last year, there have been a lot of shark attacks there. But some of the locals and some of the forums were kind of chiming in that there's some sort of um, cannery or the fishermen do something somewhere offshore where they might gut the fish out there. So it's like a no, the, the reason there's so many shark attacks is there's just, you know, there's a, you know, school of sharks, I guess, that are on it, you know, that know that the fishermen do something or there's some in industry that does something, whether it's pumping warm water out or gutting fish at this place, something happens where, and again, I, I just sort of vaguely recall this from last year when we, when we talked about this. Well, you know, it sounds like a joke or sharks extra angry, but there's something because the attacks that we hear about there, maybe it's a different type of shark. I think you know? it's a bull shark or a nurse. Shark. Okay. But I don't, again, I'm just riffing like I riffed yeah, with yeah, Peter yeah. Mel here. I'm, you know, those two sharks, the bull and the nurse, if it's not a tiger or a great white, those two are super uber aggressive sharks. Well, every attack that we hear from Reunion is something like this. Like they don't, like you said, drag them underwater and do it in quiet. It's like people get torn to shreds in front of tourists' eyes, right. you know, and yeah. it's horrific. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I cannot imagine... Oh, I've got here, you know, there have been 16 shark attacks, seven of them fatal in uh, Reunion's waters over the past four years. Yeah. And um, after a non-fatal attack just in February, authorities banned all water activities outside of select areas watched by lifeguards. Mm -hmm. So, again, this this kid, um, Elio Can Canestri, Elio Canestri? Elio. Elio? Mm. Elio Canestri. Uh, you know, gosh, again. Yeah, horrific. Jeremy Flores put out a tweet about it because yeah. Jeremy's from Reunion, and I'm sure Jeremy knew this young boy, and it's just, it's just heart heartbreaking. It's horrible. Yeah, puts things into perspective. Yes, um, I wanted just to point out. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but I just feel a need to document it. Celebrity, or let's call him surf celebrity crossover. Every once in a while when surfers enter the realm of the real world, you know, media, uh, Stephanie Gilmore was featured in Harper's Bazaar just recently in an article called Secrets of the Ultimate Surf Girl. Real soft, softball piece of just talking about her diet regime and health and all that sort of thing. But still, Harper's Bazaar. What's funny is like I saw this and I'm like, whoa, Harper's Bazaar, that's mainstream and legit and huge. And then I thought to myself... What is Harper's Bazaar? Like, is it a magazine? Is it like a store in London? Like, I don't even know what this is. I would suggest to you that this is all part of um, 
the really good work that the WSLPR team does Possibly. through connections with Dirk Ziff and his wife. Yeah. And they're uber connected in the whole Manhattan fashion social mm-hmm. scene in New York City. And I'm sure that this is just a, hey, you know, like cocktail party. You should interview this girl, Stephanie. She's great. She Look how beautiful she is. She's the perfect... And, and all those things are true. And so yeah. it makes sense. I think you'll see more of this. I think you'll see the WSL being able to seed sort of advertorially through a lot of these, you know. I agree. Fashion mags. I agree. Um, the Florence, or by the way, have you ever read a copy of Harper's Bazaar? Have you ever <laughs> Have you ever opened an issue? I want to say it, you know, I want to say at the turn of the 19th, 18th, uh, 20th century, right around 19 or something, it was probably the go-to magazine. Could have been. Have you ever opened one? I no, I don't think I've ever seen one like in in person, you know, like yeah. but I'm very familiar. Like it's a part of my awareness. I know it's important, but it's just kind of funny. Um, the Florence brothers were in British Vogue last month as well <laughs> okay. in an article called Wave Riders. Yeah. And then our beloved Anastasia Ashley okay, in Sports me. Illustrated swimsuit recently. She's she's the twerk, the twerker. That's right. She's kind of um, she's the one that I think all the WSL girls just cringe and just yeah. go, oh my god, she does not represent us. Right. <laughs> well, all this stuff I'll have links to if you want to actually read the actual articles on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Kind of cool just to did see. Did you read the Anastasia Ashley article or did you look at the pictures? Is, is no it even comment. an article? I mean, is just no pro- comment. How to twerk effectively? It's by the way, it's Sports Illustrated swimsuit. Oh, issue, well, there so you it's go. not. Um, but. I've interviewed Anastasia before, actually. How'd that go? It, as I recall, it was cool. You know, this, this was in the beginning of my, you know, like 2005 or something mm-hmm. when I was first starting out. Well, I remember when she was coming up. I mean, she was doing the NSSAs as a Grom. She was a good surfer. Yeah, she you know? surfs. She's yeah. definitely surfs legit. Waves, She's too. legit. Um, but I just think it's cool with some of this stuff to see, like, high fashion photography applied to our heroes, you know? Wait a minute. Heroes? Heroes. No, no. Steph Gilmore and the Florence Brothers are my heroes. No, I think... Not Anastasia. I don't know if any of these pro surfers are my heroes. I think heroes is a pretty strong word. Heroes. Who's your hero? Steph Gilmore and the Florence Brothers. They're great surfers. They do a great job of uh, representing what... Heroic. They are heroic. They're not my heroes. heroes. Go go ahead. Tell me who you're. I'm just. I need to think about. Obviously, my dad, your dad, are going to be the first on our list, right? I didn't know my dad was your hero. No, that's awesome, dude. (laughs) He builds guitars as soon as I get out of here. Builds guitars for God. It's a luthier. (laughs) He's a luthier, but uh, no. So that and then you know like like Roger Staubach. Staubach. He's you don't even know who he is. He would be a guy we can see. I mean, there's many guys that, you know, that are doing, you know, servicemen. Yeah. You know, like Jerry well, Coleman, the announcer for the Padres who passed away a couple, maybe last year, a couple of years ago. He would be a guy I would consider a hero. He served in three wars, you know, played shortstop for the New York Yankees. I think he was the MVP of like the 53 World Series or something. These are the types of guys, guys that that do stuff that transcends whatever the sport is, that... that that are selfless. These sure. are the guys that, that should be our heroes. I think. Sure. I'm going to go with Nelson Mandela. All right. Good one. Uh, Mother Teresa. Good one. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore uh, Roosevelt. I don't know. I was That's reading a pretty his, good one. I was reading his book recently. He's, so a, he's, a, he's a good one. He's kind of got a huge ego. but uh, So I'll just take the easy ones. It would be interesting, though, to compile a list of our heroes, like legit. Because I think, you know, like Jonas Salk should be somebody that, you know, 
basically created the what the polio vaccine. He should be a guy that is considered a hero. There should be teachers and doctors and coaches that are our heroes that nobody knows about, but they meant a lot to us, you know, in our lives as we as we yeah. shaped our here's our what personality. here's what's really sad about me is I've never thought about that question before of who is my hero, and the reality is I've never had to because I'm middle class, comfort comfortable living, growing up, like comfortable surroundings, never persevered any real, I don't know, adversity. I just kind of like was able to get by and do my thing. You're and not, soft without I'm a I'm super soft. What and about it's like, the guy in Unbroken? Did you read Unbroken? Ernie no, uh, Zamperini? I didn't. I didn't. He would be a guy I would consider a hero. I understand the concept of what a hero, what constitutes a hero. I'm just saying I've never needed well, that look at inspiration your, in my life to like get your, through something. What are your values? Look at your value system. Find the important values in your life and then find the people that that exude that and that really live up and, and surpass that mark. And those would be guys you could consider your heroes. I get it. I understand the concept. I know I'm just do. saying that I know you I've do. Never... I'm talking down to you. I apologize. I By the way, David's way smarter than me. <laughs> so the idea of me talking to David about this is sort of funny. Well, thanks. I don't know where that came from, but thank you. I'll take another it. drop for your phone, dude. Tell me more, Scott. <laughs> um, I got musty moments in Dukes and Kooks. I do too. No, I do. But what about the boardroom? What about the boardroom, man? Do we man? want to go there? How much I've time spent you got? so much time prepping for the boardroom that I feel like it'd you be a shame if we didn't discuss it. I can go over some of the quick, finer points of the boardroom real quickly. It's consumed my life, dude. <laughs> okay. So I need to talk about it. Well, look, it's coming up May 16th and 17th. It's at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. This will be our 13th show. Uh, we started it in 2007. And each and every year, we honor... Um, a legendary shaper in the Icons of Foam tribute to the Masters Shape Off. It's a competition. It's presented by U.S. Blanks. And this year we're honoring Rusty Preisendorfer. And I have to wonder, is it Preisendorfer or Preisendorfer? I've, I've known him forever and I can never get it straight. I've heard it both ways. But uh, Rusty's a, a guy who's made me many a great surfboard and, a, and a, a legendary waterman and surfer in his own right. One of the original Blacks locals and... Um, and so Rusty's being honored, and there's going to be six guys that are in the shape off. They're going to be shaping the classic Mark Ocalupo uh, board that Mark uh, did really well with when he was a 15-year-old in 1984. And um, those six shapers are Dave Parmenter, Chris Christensen, Tim Stamps, defending champion Roger Hines, Ward Coffey from Santa Cruz, and San Diego's Stu Kenson. So those six guys will get an hour and a half each in the shaping bay. They won't be able to to uh, measure the board or, 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 you know, put any kind of measuring devices on the board prior to their hour and a half, which is strictly timed. And they'll go in there and they'll try to replicate that board. And then Rusty will judge the finished blanks, the anonymously shaped blanks. He won't know whose is whose. Right. And a winner will be decided. And uh, that's sort of the... It's really awesome. It's a really awesome concept. I've witnessed it the last couple of years that you've been doing it. And it's a really awesome deal yeah unbelievably difficult too. like when you put those shapers in a shaping bay first of all it's like a fishbowl so people are watching them shape which i think is out of normal but also give them the 90 minute time limit that's hugely different than just doing things on your own terms and then in addition to that not having any measuring devices it's very complicated it's much harder than i think people recognize and even when I talk to the shapers after they do it, they're like, that was way harder than I anticipated it being. I, I shape boards every single day, and I was not prepared for that. So. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm, yeah, it's going to be fun. We're looking forward to it. Um, 
I've got some other features I can go over real quick. Sure. Um, the Ultimate Craftsman Project, which was an idea really that Rusty and I sort of formulated together when I was talking to him about the icons thing. And, and initially I was like, gosh, maybe I can have somebody make a board from start to finish right there at the show in, in two days. And we realized that that wouldn't really be the best way to sort of highlight or, or, or showcase these guys. So we picked four craftsmen that can build a board from start to finish. And I mean every step of the way. Sourcing the material, shaping it, building it, you know, making the fin, glassing it, sanding it, painting it, polishing it, pinlining it, the whole deal. And so there are four craftsmen, Roger Hines, Gene Cooper, Mark Andrini, and Travis Reynolds. And those four guys have been tasked with building this board. And those boards, uh, the build process, as you know, David, are being videotaped. And we're putting the videos up slowly onto the the boardroom site and other sites around the internet is they're going to be Mark Andrini is going to be on Surfline probably today, and and the idea is that all of us can kind of watch the build process and see how unique it is and see how difficult it is and see what craftsmen these guys are, and then we'll unveil the boards at the boardroom in Del Mar, and the judges will pick the winner of the board that they think is you know the best built or the most difficult or however they're going to judge it, and um, and and that's going to be a lot of fun too. So we've got that. Let me comment real quickly because Roger Hines, one of those contenders, enlisted me to produce the videos for him because I have video production background. And I've spent two months. I mean, we filmed over 10 days, probably 12 days of filming over the course of two months, starting in January through March. And um, it, it was all consuming. Like we spent over 40 hours on this thing. And it is the most impressive surfboard I've ever seen built. I can give some of the details now because we were waiting until the videos got released to really unveil the project, but he sourced 3,400-year-old Redwood to glue up the stringer, but the glue up of the stringer is a checkerboard pattern, which in our research, we've never seen done before. You've seen checkerboard tail blocks, but this is actually like a 10-foot long checkerboard stringer with T-band on either side. And um, with 3,400-year-old redwood with documentation and all that sort of thing, there's 504 pieces of wood in the glue-up. It's insane. So when you're gluing this thing up because of all the wood pieces, the indexing is super important, obviously, in the cuts. If you're a millimeter off or a half a millimeter off per cut, by the time you glue this all together, could you be could crooked. be off an inch yeah. at the end. You know, right. so huge amount of preparation and pre-production and in the indexing and the cutting and and the glue up and everything it was like 20 hours just to get till the blank is glued up you know well it's going to be neat so we urge um, david and i would urge everybody to check out the videos you can yeah. see them on boardroomshow.com boardroomshow.com click on the ultimate craftsman project link and you'll see um, all the videos there um, at the boardroom also, you know, we're highlighting women shapers for the first time ever. Last year, we did have Kelly Connolly shape against the guys, and she made a great board. She was totally, like, blew the guys away how good she was. Everybody, yeah. yeah, she was insane. So this year, I'm like, let's get a lot more girls involved. So we've got four female shapers, Kelly Connolly, Christine Brailsford, uh, Caro, uh, Whitney Wind, uh, Whitney Lang, she goes by also, and um, Valerie Duprat. And those four girls are going to give an exhibition. They're going to go in and shape boards, um, just kind of show their chops. You know, it's not a competition. It's an exhibition. But you'll be able to see the girls shape, so we're excited about that. Also have the Best in Show this year, which is focusing solely on sustainable surf product. So um, the idea is let's push the envelope regarding 
a sustainable, eco-friendly, earth-friendly surfboard, but not give up any of the performance characteristics. So, you know, this needs to be a board that Kelly Slater or whoever top pro would be very happy riding, but also one that's earth-friendly. So that's the best in show, and that's presented by uh, Entropy Resins and Marco Foam. Nice. We have, again, probably one of the most, um, you know, interesting and engaging exhibits which is the RevChem glassing demonstration so the guys at RevChem will be doing a lot of um, glassing and laminating and showing off different materials as well from some of their partners um, future fins is giving a seminar on um, it's basically it's called ride number and each future fin has a number associated with it and that number dictates where it is on the spectrum of uh, flexibility versus stiffness versus the, um, how the fin's going to you know react on the wave face, which I think is fascinating. I think it's something that needs to be excavated and be, needs to be um, put out there because, I mean, I'm a victim of this too. I'll buy a fin based on the color, not even thinking about you know what does the fin really do, you know. Yeah. And uh, I'm you know I'm, I'm I guess I'm a little bit uh, sad to say that yeah I've done that. You know I've bought a green fin instead of thinking about and so. Luckily, Futures has each fin numbered. So, like, you can go and buy a four, and you know what the fin's supposed to do. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, a little bit twangier. It's not going to be as stiff. You might want it for a little bit mushier waves where you can get some mojo going. Anyway, so that Future Fins uh, seminar is going to take place. Uh, right here at Shack, which, oh, by the way, we forgot to mention we're broadcasting, li- uh, we're broadcasting now from Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. In fact, I'm sitting in Paul Strauss' chair. <laughs> Who's the most, uh, you know, if there was ever a guy that sort of um, sort of characterized or personified the late, great Duke Kahanamoko, it's Paul Stroud Jr., a great Hawaiian surfer. Feeling some of the mojo? I'm feeling it. We're in his office. I'm in Paul's office. I'm sitting in his chair. I thought this was the best podcast you've ever delivered. (laughs) All due to Paul Stroud Jr. There's no doubt. All due to the compliments that you've been giving me. uh, Yeah. Shaq is putting together a Tom Moray exhibit. So the Tom Moray exhibit will be part of the boardroom show. Uh, Randy Rarick is flying out from Hawaii to give um, roadshow, antique roadshow style, vintage surfboard appraisal. So please bring your surfboard, your vintage surfboard, your vintage surf memorabilia out, and Randy Rarick will appraise that stuff. We also have the surfing luthiers, right? So guys that surf that build guitars as a hobby or uh, for a living. There will be a bunch of hand-built guitars there, um, built by surfers. So I'm pretty psyched on that. And not to, you know a bunch. Not to mention the f- the floor is basically sold out. I have a couple of booths still remaining, but there's going to be the world's greatest surfboards on display by all of the world's greatest surfboard manufacturers from yeah. you know Maurice Cole, Matt Biolis, Chris Christensen, you know you name it. The Rusty Preisendorfer, Roger Hines, all of these guys. Gene Cooper, I mean, the list is endless. There's going to be Firewire. All these great surfboard manufacturers are going to be there lost. That's the main so, The main exhibitors are surfboard manufacturers, right? Right. We, yeah, that's what it is. It's a surf, surfing yeah. trade show. It's the yeah. surfboard industry trade show. So the public is invited, of course. It's a consumer show, so come out and check it out. Del Mar Fairgrounds, May 16th and 17th. Is there an admission fee? There's 10 bucks to get what? in. What? Yeah, that is a bargain. Thank you. You can't afford not to go. Yeah, now that Paul Stroud Jr. is flowing back. This <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm really psyched to be involved. Yeah, man. I encourage... So, obviously, if you're local, you can attend. But if you're not local, watch those videos, man. I'm psyched on my videos. Two of four are going to be published after this episode. But um, three and four are almost done and I'm really excited to share them. So everybody's videos look good, by the way. Cool. Must see moment. 
I have um, Anthony Tashnik. He offers a fun, lighthearted, uh, honest video clip. I don't know if you've seen it, but you no, should see it. You'll not. really like it. It's about surfboard shaping, but it's more about him. You learn a lot about him. He embodies sort of this youthful spirit, this sort of um, just a very honest look at him, which I think is really neat. You know, um, does he shape? He does shape, and I didn't it's know really that. great. You know, this this clip really, he really. Um, he does a really great job of sort of crystallizing what it means to be a great surfer. And, mm. you know, spoiler alert, it doesn't mean, you know, doing great aerials or great off the lips. So he, this guy who did this video on Anthony, um, his name is um, Kyle Boothman. Oh, I know Kyle. Kyle did this great clip on Anthony, and it's a my must-see moment. I, I urge you to watch it. It's a really neat piece. And I'm, you know, generally skeptical of these types of things. Sure. Because you generally get the same old, same old. But this was a real honest look at a really great guy. Kyle, I'm, I'm now a huge Anthony Tashnik fan. Not that I never was, but I never really knew him. And I, sure. I sense that I know him a little better now. Kyle's Santa Cruz surfer, really good surfer in his own right. Part of the Quicksilver Grom team growing up, but got into filmmaking, uh, surf filmmaking along the way. And uh, he's done some really good work. You'll like so this I'll video. Definitely check You'll that. like this video. My must-see moment is actually strangely related to that. Uh, it's called the WSL put it out. It's called Kelly Slater opens his board bag. I think you sent it to me first. Um, one of the most candid interviews I've seen in some time with Kelly, I think mainly because Ross Williams is conducting the interview. So it looks like two old friends talking, which is great to the WSL's credit. They just let the thing run long. It's an eight minute video. It's not, uh, overly edited it's not overly produced it's just long form conversation which is great which is what you and i try to do with the podcast kelly analyzes his quiver that's the purpose of the video but in that he gets into explaining his relationship with firewire where he says he has a vested interest he's interested in their sustainability model basically and um also that he's been working with tomo for some time designing boards he talks about What's important to Tomo, the boards do look different, but he said all that Tomo's really focused on is balance weight and swing weight, were the two buzzwords kind of that he uses, buzz phrases, and gets into that in detail. He also mentions his long-term relationship with Channel Islands. He said he's still in denial about Kelly, about his own new relationship with Firewire. He said Al Merrick's been like a father to him. But he also said that he doesn't foresee any time in the future when he won't ride Channel Islands. So that answers some questions for me. It's like, oh, is he going strictly Firewire? No, he has a vested interest in the company. He's experimenting. He likes their business model based on sustainability. But he still loves Channel Islands, and he's going to continue to ride Whatever equipment is right for Kelly. Yeah. So I think that's cool. You nailed it. That's exactly. He has the option to do whatever yeah. he wants. And, and I think that's all he really wanted from Channel Islands was sort of the ability to let him spread his wings out mm -hmm. a little bit. And he'll, he'll come home. Sure. Um, the, the best thing, and you mentioned, is Ross Williams. I mean, Kelly's always great. But Ross does a great job of, of um, just being able to, you know, let Kelly sort of let down his guard a little bit. Yeah. Not that he says anything over the, you know, outside the box or that's, that's too crazy, but you do, as you mentioned, you get the sense that it's just two friends talking, which is what it is. Exactly. One thing that I liked is that Ross addressed some of the things that we've addressed or that I've addressed on this show about 
are all those business ventures in your head when you're walking down the stairs to surf your heat at Bell's? And Kelly admitted, he's like, I've been very distracted with all that stuff. He goes, I have a lack of interest. It's not as exciting to me anymore, but board design and improving business practices are what's exciting to me. And that's where I'm going with these business ventures. And he he said, quote, I'm not interested in preaching to anybody. I'm just interested in putting my money where my mouth is and doing these things. So I'm not here to tell you that you're doing it wrong if you're an alternative brand. I'm just looking for a way to do it right. And I understand why our industry runs the way it does and why the decisions have been made up until this point. But I now think that there's time to reinvest and do it differently. So I was like blown away by this video. And the WSL put it out. So. By the way, did you hear there's this thing that I sent you on the free ride voice that Craig Braithwaite uh-huh. put out about the owner of the World Surf League, Dirk Ziff, um, owning basically a, a, a shale oil investment company that, that runs underneath the Great Barrier Reef in Australia and big chunks of the northern Queensland coastline. And um, there's, you know... It's sort of interesting that it hasn't caught fire. I thought this type of thing might really take take hold, but there's been some some people. Nick Carroll, in fact, sent me a text that basically said, "I think Dirk Ziff sold that thing a while ago." But then on Instagram, Braithy or Craig Craig Braithwaite, the guy who's one of the writers for the Free Ride Voice Surf Journalism website, um, he he said, "No, no, I spoke with Kelly Slater about this." Kelly seems to think that Dirk Ziff doesn't own any interest in this Great Barrier Reef shale oil investment. But um, but uh, Craig Braithwaite seems to think that, no, he still is uh, an owner in this deal. So um, I sent an email to Nick Carroll trying to get some clarity on it. Yeah. And no one seems to really know. Yeah, it, it was interesting to me to read, but all also not really substantiated yeah. thoroughly enough yeah. to where I could form an opinion about it. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. More podcast fodder though. What's your Duke and kook? My Duke is Jay Davies for winning the trials. He's surfing against Mick Fanning and Wilco in round one, but I'm psyched. I'm really psyched. One of my favorite surfers the last couple of years. I'm excited to see what he can do competitively. Who's your Duke? My Duke is um, Anthony Tashnik. Oh, there you go. I learned more about him, and I would urge you to watch this video, and I think he'll be your Duke as well. Ah, well, I have a kook. WSL has been doing a great job, like this Kelly video, but one of their really um, well-produced first efforts that they put out is called Priority. I watched it. Yeah. It is a... Josh Kerr. It was Josh Kerr, Matt Banning, and um, Laura Enover. Mm-hmm. It was a complete ripoff of Red Bull's 21 Days series. It looks like they pushed play on Red Bull and did a shot-for-shot remake and just called it Priority. The graphics, the announcer, they have like this overly dramatic announcer like, in three days, the WSL will be headed to Snapper. You know, and yeah. it's... And the editing style, the little music stings in between. Like, I just watched it and thought, wow. They, did they just hire Red Bull's production team? So I love that the WSL is trying and they're putting money into cultivating these human interest stories, which is all that we've asked for. So they're actually executing. Right. I just thought it was a blatant ripoff of right. somebody else's intellectual property. Right. All right. They so. need to hire you. 
WSL, Dude, everybody got, needs to hire a position in Santa Monica for you because I'm sure that thing came out of Santa Monica. That priority, absolutely, I'm sure it is. But I, yeah, I think based on what we talk about, we should be hired as commentators for events. We should be hired to run <laughs> we multinational bolton as, as researchers. We should brands. not be hired as researchers. Maybe not based researchers. Based on my Peter Mel effort, but we should be hired by all these people to do everything because we could do it better. All right. Well, I guess that's the show then for the day. Yeah. Um, until next time, and it's going to be an exciting day for us as we watch the oh, first man. round of the um, WSL's Market River event, the Drug Aware Pro. Until next time, uh, for David and Scott, adios and aloha. Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed today's show. Thanks for everybody participating in the fantasy surfing thing, too. That's been a lot of fun. Um, Just, you know, it's more banter. It's more uh, social, I guess. It's not just Scott and I engaging in something. We've got a huge community. It grows all the time, but I think it's over 200 members now. I think it was about 212 when I looked at it earlier today. And then, of course, we offer the opportunity to wager $10 on each event, each division, if you would like to. Uh, you could participate in that. The Bells event, um, wagering and Fantasy Surfer is already closed. You have to get it in, get your team in and your wager in before the event starts. But you can get things ready for Rio if you would like because that's going to be the next stop on our tour. All right. That is all for now. I will be back next week with an all-new episode. And until then, make sure to check out the website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, where we have all the videos and links to articles that we discussed in today's show. And then in the meantime, also follow us on social media, at Surf Splendor. All right? Join the conversation. Thank you for listening. Hope you're enjoying the Margaret River event. And until next week, this is your host, David Scales, reminding you to shred on.